You don't need to drag it over, Jude. If you just, uh, if you just uh, start it off on the main screen, it'll come up automatically on the side screens. Good when the pastor knows how to run a computer, isn't it? I haven't learned how to get Facebook yet, though. So, Okay, here we go. So, Real Lives is our theme. And the title for this morning is Real Change. Real Change. Now, at the end of the 15th, beginning of the 16th century, there was an Italian author who was writing on the subject of politics and running people and running a country and so on. And one of the things he believed was that most people are resistant to change even when it's, in, it's, it's to their own advantage. And that was his idea. In the next two or three minutes, I'm going to prove him wrong. Everybody reads his books and believes he's got it. Well, I'm just going to show you how much more we can uh, change the world here this morning. Now, let me ask you a question. If you could improve anything about your life at all, would you want to improve it? Please put your hands up. If there's anything you'd want to improve in your life at all, yourself, your circumstance, your situation, there you are, you see, put your hands down, you'll want to change. Because Winston Churchill said this, he said, to improve is to change. And to be perfect is to change lots. There you go. Anybody want to be perfect? Be nice, wouldn't it? Well, a lot of change is involved in that. And I want to prove to you now that you really are people who love change. Because I can guarantee to you at this moment there is one thing if I asked you all to vote for change, you would enthusiastically, without hesitation, you would put your hands up and say, I want this to change now. And here it is coming up on the screen. And here it is coming up on the screen. <laughs> Who wants to change the weather for some heat and warmth and dryness? Can anybody say amen to that change? There, I've proved that author Machiavelli wrong, and I've proved you right, or proved me right. You do want to change. Change is good. If you could change that, you would change it. Is that right? Good, I'm glad about that. Now, here is a challenge for us all when we do change. Can we change enough and will it work? Now, back in the 1980s, when Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister, and men were men and women were women, and we rescued them from castles on horses and all the rest of it, um, they started to privatise industries that the government had once owned. And one of those industries was the water boards. And one of these water boards down south, I think it was the Essex Water Board, they wanted a new company sign or logo to take the place of their old one. New company, new private industry, new opportunities, new profits, shareholders, all that sort of stuff. So let's have a new logo. Let's change our image. So they had a press launch day and they put up on the screen the new logo and the old logo. And all these guys and journalists from the press are there and they're all scratching their heads and they start nudging each other. And, and the waterball people, they say, what's the matter? We can't see the difference. He said, well, of course you can see the difference. The lettering on the new logo is slightly thicker than the lettering on the old logo. Now, they had spent hours and hours and hours researching this, got a market research company on it. They spent tens of thousands of pounds on this, all to come up with some slightly thicker lettering. You're in the wrong business, aren't you? 
And so the story that made the newspapers the next day was, wasn't this an exciting opportunity? Rather, what a waste of time and money. They tried to change something, and it hardly changed at all. Have you ever came, come across that phrase? It's uh, originally from the French. The more things change, the more they stay the same. There is a kind of cynical, disappointed, uh, unhappy view in our world that actually things don't really change even when you try your hardest and best and invest lots of time and lots of your energy and effort into them. Have you ever tried to change and nothing really seems to have changed? That can be part of our human experience too. So the question for us today, how can we see real, serious, deep down, long-lasting improvement and change in ourselves and in our lives? Well, here's the good news. The Bible says we can see that kind of change. And we can see it when we allow God into our lives. And it works for you if you've never known God before, and it works for you if you've known God for years and years. But if your life is stuck in a rut somewhere, and you're in a habit or pattern of behavior, or in a weakness, or in a sin, or in a situation that's got the better of you, wherever you are today, and whatever you're wrestling with and need to change and improve, what we're about to share with you from the Bible works every time for every person, in every country, in every age, and in every situation. It works. And to see what this is, we're going to look at the life of one man. And we're going to look at his life on the outside and on the inside. And see how God brings about in him a life-changing experience of God. So let's put the Bible up on the screen and we'll read from the Bible. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's being a Christian, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Perhaps we could leave that screen up there for a little while. Let's pray. Father, today we pray change. In these next few moments, you will speak to our hearts like you spoke to this man and change our lives for good. Amen. So how did this man change his life for the better? How did he change his life right deep down? Well, we're going to look at two areas. The things that are going on around him and the things that are going on inside of him. And here's the secret. God is behind them all. On the outside, 
he encountered different circumstances. And on the inside, he encountered the Lord Jesus. And that's how we bring about change and how we improve our lives, really deep down and forever. So let's look in more detail at that. The first one is this, the outside and the circumstances. Now Paul was a man who was surrounded with what was familiar to him. And we can be the same. Paul had to get out of what he knew and was familiar with. His way of life, the people that he was used to being with, the influences that are acting on his life. Because if nothing changes in our circumstances, our familiar way of life tends to say to us, don't change. It screams out at us, don't take a risk. Stay where you are. Don't move from where you are. It'll cost too much. People won't like you. You'll lose this. You'll lose that. You'll lose the other. Don't move. Don't do anything too extreme. Just keep it how it is. And as long as we stay in that circumstance, that's the voice of everything familiar around us. Keep it as it is. Stay like you are. God knows this. God knows how we work as people. He knows that when we're stuck in our same old familiar situation, we don't change. He knows that if we're going to change, he's got to allow circumstances and situations to come on our lives that will break us out of those everyday familiar patterns and move us somewhere else so that we're no longer surrounded by those voices and those influences. God knows this. And he knew it in Saul's life. And he sees where Saul's life is taking him. Saul is eaten up inside with stuff, hatred towards this new version of his religion. Hadn't even been called Christianity yet. They called it the way. That was the best name they could find to give it. And as he is struggling with stuff on the inside, God is watching his life. And you know, the same is true for us. As we struggle with things on the inside, you may think nobody sees and knows, but God is watching your life. He sees our inner struggles. He sees them today, this morning, right now as we're sitting here. And God has been following Saul's Paul, as he later became, he's been following Saul's career, if you like. He's been following his life up to date. And he sees how Saul's getting on. He sees, now, here is an opportunity for me to get a hold of Saul. Saul is going to leave Israel, probably for the first time in this direction, and he's going to go over to the neighboring country of Syria. Now, do you know how I know? He's never been down this road before. It says they gave him letters of introduction. If he'd been there before, they would know who he was and he wouldn't need the letters. This was the first time he'd ever gone down this road. And it may be in your life, you find yourself in a situation and you think, how did I get here? I've never been here before and it's not a great place to be. But I'm where I thought I never would be. And that's probably true of Saul. 
He never imagined a few years earlier that he would end up on a horse going to Damascus with all kinds of issues and feelings inside of him chasing these Christians, full of hurt and pain in himself. He never thought that would happen to him, and yet that was happening to him. And he could have said, why has God allowed this to happen to me? And that's a common cry of the human race. How come, if God is there, he lets me end up in this situation? I'll tell you why. Because he knows that unless he allows you to get into a place that's uncomfortable and unfamiliar, you won't change, and I won't change. We don't change when things are okay, and they're familiar, and we're in the same old surroundings. That's why God had to get him on the road to Damascus, 90-mile road, outside of his own country, and there God could finally speak to him in a way that Saul would be willing to hear. Now, Saul is at this stage in big, big trouble in his life. Now, he should have been the happiest guy alive. Did you know that in those days, uh, in, in that sort of time, there were only 200 million people in the world? And of those 200 million people, the best country to be born in was Israel. Now, that's not the same today. Everybody knows it's Newcastle. But um, in those days, Israel was the equivalent of Newcastle, okay? Notice I said country there, not city. The best place in the world you could be born was in Israel. They had the best morals, the best way of living, the best way of treating one another, especially if you were a woman and a wife. The best country to live in, believe me, was Israel. And if you lived in Israel, the best kind of life you could be was to be one of the really committed religious people, what we call a Pharisee. Not every Jew was in the Pharisees, but a few elite, select people were, and Paul was one of them. So he was in the best group of people on earth, and he was in the best group in the best group of people on earth. And not only that, he had the best education that you could really want. He went to the rabbi's school in Jerusalem, and he had a great teacher there by the name of Gamaliel who was one of the most sensible, down-to-earth, good teachers the world could ever put forward at that time. He had a brilliant education. Now, the rest of the world was ruled by the Roman Empire. The Romans had taken over huge amounts of the earth, and Israel was under Roman rule. And if you were in the Roman Empire, the best thing you could say in Latin is Civis Romanum Sum, I am a citizen of Rome. Not everybody who lived in the Roman Empire got that title. Only a few select elite people, and Paul was one of them. You could buy it with money, but Paul didn't have to. He inherited it from his father, which tells us that his dad was a man of influence and position and probably quite wealthy as well. Paul had it all. He had money. He had status. He had position. He was a Roman citizen. He was part of the best group of people on earth. He was part of the best of the best group of people on earth. You couldn't be better than Paul. He should have been one of the happiest guys alive, and yet he's one of the most miserable. Now take a look around you at our society today. If you really believe the kind of stuff they push out in the newspapers and the kind of stuff they push out in our universities, if you really believe Freud, we should be the happiest group of people today that's ever lived. But when I walk out on the streets, I don't see that. I see people downcast, weighed down with their burdens, young people lacking confidence, our, our marriages and our families in terrible trouble. I see our governments not knowing which way to go. Take a look at Europe. 
We should be so, so well off and happy today, and yet we're not. Something is wrong. And something was wrong with Paul. Instead of being a really privileged, brilliantly happy set-up guy, he is terribly in trouble in his life and on the inside. But God sees that one day Saul is going to find himself in a place he's never thought he would be in unfamiliar circumstances with no temple, no priests, no Pharisees, no Jewish people, no university, no university teacher, no um, mates around him to say, hey Paul, just stick with us and everything will be fine. He was on his own, riding along this 90 mile stretch of road and God was waiting for him there because he knew in that moment he could speak to Saul and Saul might just be open enough to listen. Don't miss it today. When God brings you to that place that he speaks to you, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't let it pass you by. Realize that this is your moment from God when God can speak to you. He can use your outside circumstances to speak to your insides. And that's where we're going next. Because then, in that moment, God starts to speak to him on the inside. And this is the second way of how God speaks to us. We have another slide, Jude. And it's this, that God speaks to us when we're in unfamiliar circumstances and then he speaks to us when we encounter the Lord Jesus. In that moment, Saul encountered Jesus Christ. He was only changed when he came across Jesus. His friends did not change him. His circumstances did not change him. He was powerless even to change himself. There's only one thing that can truly change a human being in life. As far as the Bible is concerned, and it's certainly been my experience, meeting Jesus Christ. Nothing else was able to change Saul and get him out of the trouble he was in. And I believe it's the same for us today. Now notice how it started. He's riding along on his horse, probably a bit distracted, horse is probably just following all these foot soldiers that are going with them. And he's, I don't know what he's thinking about. Maybe he's thinking about what he's going to have for tea that night or you know, what the uh, next episode of his favourite soap opera is going to be on the telly or what he's going to do with these guys when he arrests them and what they're going to do to them in Jerusalem. But as he's going along, the Bible says suddenly. That's how it is in life. You can be going along through life and suddenly. And it's that and suddenly that God is in. That's when God comes to us. God brings the suddenly. Most people want God to kind of gradually and gradually, gradually make his presence known. But God tends to work with an and suddenly. It's amazing how quickly our lives can collapse in a day. They can all be so good. 
And yet the next day, everything has changed. You've heard uh, Martin and Linda Dunkley telling their story. And Martin said to me on the phone, he said, Sunday, Clive, we were in church, everything was great. Monday morning, we were told Linda had cancer. He said, you, met 24 hours, our whole universe changed. You know the rest of the story, of course, how after being prayed for, all the tests came back completely negative. There is not one cell that they can trace in Linda's body of cancer after that time last Christmas. Remarkable change around. You see how something can suddenly change, both to push us into God and also when God comes along to draw us into him and change the situation with his miracle power. So suddenly, Saul is blinded by this light and he falls off his horse and he's on the ground. Now here's the incredible thing. Everybody else sees the light. Everybody else hears a sound. But only Paul hears what's being said. This is what's taking place inside of him. God is speaking to him through Jesus, his son, inside. And here's how it works. When God calls a man and a woman, he does it through speaking to them on the inside. It's a quiet but very real conviction and voice. And listen, when God speaks to you, lay a hold of it because it is precious. I can't give you that. Your mum and dad can't give you that. The government can't give you that. Your doctor can't give you that. Your teachers can't give you that. You can't give it yourself. Only God can speak to a person's heart. But when he does, seize hold of it with both hands and run after it with everything you've got. It is precious. God is calling you. He is calling you because he calls everybody the same way that he called Saul here. And Jesus starts to speak to his heart. And this is what Saul said. He gets down on that light and he says, Who are you, Lord? Doesn't that strike you as a dumb question? I mean, obviously it's God, isn't it? I mean, who else could it be? Now, you would think that after all these years of all this Bible reading and being in the best group of people and in the best of the best and doing all that university study and knowing about God and reading the law of Moses and trying to follow the law of Moses, you would think he would know who God was. But the minute God spoke, he didn't know it. Who are you? But listen to what he says. He says the word Lord. Now, that needs a little bit of explaining here. You see, Paul is using the normal language of his day. This is the Greek language. In the language of the Bible and the, the old language of the Jews in Hebrew, they have a name for God. You may know it as the English word Jehovah or Yahweh. They don't have that name in any other language, really, and they never had it in Greek. So they used the word Lord instead. When every Jew said Lord... That was like using God's special personal name to the Jewish people. So when Paul says to Jesus, who are you, Lord? He's saying, who are you? But I know you're God. Who are you? I want to know you. But I don't know you yet. God, this is you. And yet it's not how I thought it would be. Who are you, Lord? There's something powerful in that moment. As he says the word Lord, 
he is surrendering to God. You see, one of the famous church leaders put it like this. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. When he's the Lord, he's the boss of everything. And in that one word, in that second it took to say it, he's saying, I understand something already. You are the boss of me. And you're the Lord. And I need to surrender to you. And in saying that word to him, he was already surrendering his life. And he knows it's Jesus. And he's been resisting Jesus all this time. You can't be God's son. We don't have that in our teaching. And these Christians are wrong and I hate them. And, 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 but it's you. Help, what do I do? When you read through Paul's letters, he, he describes for us what's going on inside him. He says it's a, a new creation. He said, all this old stuff passed away. And instead, my whole life is changed. And notice, Paul says it's everything. Paul didn't say, well, when I met Jesus on the road, I thought, okay, I'm going to give up drinking and swearing, but I'm going to keep on sleeping with my girlfriends and going out on the town with the lads and throwing bricks through police car windows and all that sort of stuff. It all changes in an instant, in a moment. You can't take bits of Jesus and say, well, I'll just take this bit of you, but the rest of it I'll make my mind up later. He changes everything. He said all of it became old. All of it went away. All of it was dumped. Instead, everything, everything, the way I think, what I want in life, what my outlook is, it's all changed in that moment that I met him. It's what the Bible calls in other parts of the Bible being born again, or perhaps a better translation, born from above. It's the power of God moving into our lives in that moment and putting a new heart and spirit inside of us that's different from before. He also calls it knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he says, this is what I live my life for now. I don't want all that old stuff. All I want to do is know him. He is such a great guy to know. I feel him inside of me. When I, when I walk down the street, he's there. When I'm standing at the bus stop, he's there. When they bang me up in the slam and I'm in prison and nobody comes to care for me and there are rats running over my feet and I'm chained to the floor and I'm not fed enough and I'm cold, he's there. When the church is going really well and the offerings are going well and they're putting a new roof on the church. No, they didn't have church buildings then. But, you know, it's, he's there. And when I'm on the road on my own being attacked by robbers and when people leave me and desert me, He's there. He's there at every point in life. I can feel his love. He makes me feel different inside. I can face tomorrow because he's inside of me. I've got hope. I've got peace. I've got a strength that I never had before because he is here living inside of me. I met him on the road that day and he's never left me. I surrendered to him and I gave him everything. And now he is inside of me. Do you know this works today? I'm going to put a picture of somebody up here. Let me see if you can recognize who he is. Anybody old enough to recognize this aging rocker here? Eric Clapton. I won't do an air guitar impression because I can't. Do you know, Eric Clapton's life fell to pieces. The more famous he got, they even wrote on the subway walls in America, Eric Clapton is God. That's a very bad thing to have written about you. You can only fall from that position. And he did. 
he had a church background. Like Paul, he had some religion there, like Saul here. But it didn't really help him. And first his life descended into heroin addiction, and then actually, oddly enough, he tried to get out of that, and he ended up as an alcoholic. And for a while, he tried to change himself. And he was doing fine for a little bit, but he says in his book, he says, I was driving down the road in England, and there was this pub, and I thought I could just do with a drink, and I stopped, and I pulled in, and once I took that drink, I just went back to that old life, and there I was, wrecked out and in it all again, and all my progress was ruined. I hadn't really changed for good. What can he do? He says this. He was in a room at a rehab center in 1987. And he said he was at rock bottom. And he decided he would do one very sensible thing. He would pray. If in doubt, pray. When we're born, we should come with a little wrapper, a little shrink wrapper on us that says, if in doubt, pray. This is what he said. I was in complete despair. In the privacy of my room, I begged for help. I had no notion who I thought I was talking to. I just knew that I had come to the end of my tether. And getting down on my knees, I surrendered. Within a few days, I realized that I found a place to turn to, a place I'd always known was there, but never really wanted or needed to believe in. From that day until this, I've never failed to pray in the morning, on my knees, asking for help, and at night to express gratitude for my life, and most of all, for my sobriety. I chose to kneel because I feel I need to humble myself when I pray. And with my ego, this is the most I can do. If you're asking why I do all this, I will tell you, because it works. It's as simple as that. Eric Clapton found an encounter with the Lord Jesus in that moment when he said to him, I surrender. This works. This works. This really works. I want to play you a little tune before we finish. This is a Christian band, and they've written a song called Born Again. I think the words are pretty clear, so you'll be able to hear them come through the, the sound system. But here is just a sample of some of the words. Today I found myself after searching all these years. And the man that I saw, he wasn't at all who I thought he'd be. I was lost when you found me here. And I was broken beyond repair. Then you came along and sang your song over me. Let me say this to you. It is possible to surrender your life to Christ and not all at the same time. It is possible, even when you've known Jesus, to still be stuck in a rut. And it's just the same as if you've never met him. We need an encounter with him to change. We need to bump into Jesus on our journey and surrender it all to him. Lord, I give you this habit. I give you this rut. I give you this attitude. And there in that moment, just like Eric Clapton, Jesus Christ will come to you. And he will give you something you never had before. Himself, inside of you, living, talking, experiencing, loving, changing, encouraging, bringing hope to you. The new birth, the new creation. Have a listen to this song. See what you think of it.
experience that Saul had on the road. That was the experience that Eric Clapton had that night. That's the experience that many of us have had. Do you know, we can all have that experience every day of our lives. Feels like I'm born again. Feels like I'm living. Feels like I'm breathing. I'm speaking to you this morning. If you don't feel like you're living or breathing, you can. And it doesn't come from me. It comes from him. It comes from meeting with Jesus Christ and doing what Eric Clapton did there and saying, I surrendered. I gave it all to him. And he took it all and changed it all. 
like he did for Saul of Tarsus on that road 2,000 years ago. It's as real today as it was then. It's available today as it was then. It's here for you now if you want it. If God is speaking to your heart, just want to put a simple prayer on here in a moment. It is time to change. This is a time right now for change. And I want to put a very, very incredibly simple prayer up here based on what we've heard this morning. It's this. Jesus, Lord, I surrender to you right now. I want to know you. Please come in and change me now. Now, I'm going to invite two kinds of people to pray this prayer this morning, or three kinds, actually. If you've wandered away from him, and you don't feel like you're living and breathing him anymore, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer. If you've never known Christ, but you want to invite him into your life, as Saul did that day, call him Lord. Say, please come in and change me. Then you can pray this prayer. And if you know you have known him, but you're stuck in a rut, and his power needs to come into your life to, to take you on and fill you with that thrilling sense of the wonder of who he is, to know him afresh all over again, and to see his power break out in that area of your life you're stuck in, you can pray this prayer too. I guess that gets quite a few of us one way or another. So if, if you're any of those categories, I want to invite you to stand up now, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to get you to everybody repeat this prayer, but stand up before God. If you want to acknowledge before him today, you need to encounter Jesus afresh. Let's pray this prayer together on the screen. We'll do it twice. You can read it off the screen. Then we'll try and close our eyes and pray it again so we're really concentrating on just giving our all to God. Let's say this together. Jesus, Lord, I surrender to you right now. I want to know you. Please come in. And change me now. Just close our eyes and say that again. I'll, I'll say it, you can say it after me. Jesus Lord, I surrender to you right now. I want to know you. Please come in and change me. Amen. Let's just stay in this place for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Today, if you've asked Jesus for the very first time to come into your heart and life, it's good that we could talk with you and encourage you in that because it's a great thing to do. So that I know who that is. Could I ask you to put your hand up while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed? Is anybody who's done that? Just put your hand up so we can see who you are and then we can... Somebody here. Anybody else? And also, if you feel you've been so far from him, you really need to cross that divide and come back to him. I'd like you to put your hand up too because I want to pray for you especially. Anybody else like that? Far away. See that hand. See that hand too. Another two here. Thank you. Keep your hands up. I just want to pray for you. Lord, today, I want to pray for these precious people who've got their hands up now. 
feels like I'm born again. Feels like I'm living. Feels like I'm breathing for the very first time. I pray, Lord, you will put your spirit in them. You will touch their hearts and lives so that they really encounter and experience and feel you near right now. They know they're forgiven. They know it's okay between you and them. They know that you receive them back. They have that assurance in their hearts that God's love is on their lives right now. That they can come to you in full confidence and from now on their lives are going to be that much nearer to you. Changed. Different. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, pray for us all this week that we will encounter Jesus day by day. That the sense of being living again and born again will be in us second by second. That we'll be filled and thrilled with knowing Jesus. Help us to tell our friends and neighbours of all that we're experiencing of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. It's the end of the message. Please sit down. Great. Well, that sees the end of our meeting. Um, but one thing that I will say is that IHC is a cell church and that cells are at the heart of what we're about. And we really believe that it's a great thing for everyone to be involved in. Basically, they're small groups that meet during the week where it's an opportunity kind of to digest what's been said on the Sunday morning and talk a little bit how we can really apply that to our lives and our circumstances and really see them impact us where we're at and, and you know what's happening with us at the moment. So if you're not in a cell and you're interested and you'd like to be, please come and speak to John or myself and we can point you in the right direction. It's a really, really key part of being part of IHC and, um, and I know that everyone who's in a cell, I certainly see the benefit of that and really enjoy being part of it. So that formally finishes our service. Do hang around and have tea and coffee um, at the end and have a chat with people.